Yesterday evening, Dan had to pray for me because my head was so bunged up and I had such a headache. I'd had it earlier on in the day and I took a couple of tablets and it had sort of numbed it. And I was apprehensive, if that's a white word to use. <laughs> and we got back to the, I got back to the hotel and as I went in the door... I started to sing in my heart. It's all in thee, Lord. It's all in thee. Blessing and honour and liberty. It's all in him. And the peace of God flooded me. The peace of God. And I slept like a babe. <laughs> because it's him, isn't it? It's his life. In us. That is the most miraculous thing. It's a mystery. It's one of the mysteries. There's a whole load of mysteries which are in the Bible. They're not mysteries like the world has mysteries, which are things we can never understand, but they're things that have been hidden in God and He's shown us to them. There is a whole list of them. I have a little book by um, Vine, you know, the chap who did all the things, and he talked about this book, all these little mysteries of God. And it's such a wonderful thing. When we on on Sunday after uh, when we were at, at the Easter Sunday, in the evening, we had a, you know we had our lovely time together. In the evening, I went with my wife to her church, and uh, she comes to quite a live Anglican church, and um, they had baptisms. Ten people were being baptized in the water, full immersion which was wonderful, and they all gave their testimonies, and it was just lovely to hear the testimonies then, uh, and it was just, just so special, because it doesn't matter what background we are, it's to do with what life we have inside us, doesn't it? It's, it's to do with the life. And the young curate, who hasn't been there very long, there's, there's a number of ministers who've been there for quite a while, and there's a new young curate came along, and he, he spoke, and he does a lot of the Alpha courses, they do lots of different alpha cores. They do little short ones and long ones. And, that. and uh, he helps with those. And he was talking about, because he was obviously reaching out to people who may not be new Christ, because people come along on a baptism, people come along, and he was reaching out to people. And he said, there's something different about Christianity, which is so different and so unique to all the, everything else there is. And he said, what happens is, he said, you get someone who has an idea. People have ideas or things that come into their life. And these ideas take hold of them. And they, so, say, look, people, we have lots of philosophers, lots of people who have a religious experience of some sort, and they come out with something like Muhammad and Buddha and all these other people and all these other things. But he said, when these people die... What happens? The thing carries on. But he said, the difference with Jesus, if he died and hadn't risen again, it would have completely stopped. And why was that? Look at the disciples. They were not in a fit state to do anything. There was no charismatic person to take the message on and to plant it in other people. There was nothing there. And he said, why was that? Why was that? Because it didn't, it wasn't about... The person or a philosophy or a message or a way of living, 
It was about a person. And Jesus, Jesus didn't speak about ideas. He spoke about himself. All the time, it was about him and him only. He spoke about his father, but he spoke about him, the person himself. And so if he hadn't arisen from the dead, the whole thing would have stopped there and then. It would have been just like all the other ones which Gamaliel talked about, all the other messiahs that had come along. It would have stopped there and then because it was nothing to do with the people. It was to do with the person. Beholdings, when, when Pilate saw Jesus and he said, and then he showed them, he says, behold the man. He never knew who that man really was. Even though he said he, 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 was, he wondered what the truth was, he had no idea who that man was. He said, who is that man? It was the man from heaven. The living man. I was reading a little book by F.F. F. Bruce about what the message of the Bible is. He's a, a theologian. And he was saying that when, we, that when John wrote his gospel and his letters, he was writing after, probably right after the fall of Jerusalem. Now before, Paul had lots of problems with the Judeas, people who wanted you to be circumcised. He had lots of problems with that, even though they thought they'd sorted it out in Acts 15. And we don't need to to do circumcision anymore. They don't need, the, the Jews don't need to cause the Gentiles to be circumcised. They still carried on, didn't they? And he had to write to the Galatians and said, if you think, didn't he, to try and stop it. Because man wants always to go back to law and ideas. And then after Jeru Jerusalem was destroyed, he says, they were dispersed and the whole Jewish basis of the Christianity began to lose its hold. And they began to think like the people around them. And they began to take on the philosophies of the people around them. And they, one of them was Gnosticism, which is talking about special knowledge and eternal truth. And eventually they began to say, well, it doesn't really matter where this truth came from. The main thing is the truth, the eternal truth. So eventually they came to the point where they're saying, well, it doesn't really matter whether Jesus was a person or not, or whether he really lived even hardly. They sort of almost said, when they came to the end, they said he was just, when he, be, when he was um, baptised, that's when the spirit came on him. He was not really a man, a real man. He was just the spirit on the man. And, then it, it, and so they eventually started saying it doesn't matter. It's just in the spirit. It's all in the spirit. And so they divorced reality of the Jesus life. And so they go into some sort of spiritual netherness in their minds. And so that's why when he talked to them, he said, he, whatever spirit that doesn't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of an antichrist. It's because he was in the flesh. And they'd gone away from that. And they, they had a fight with that for all 200 years or more. And it's even now coming back in the church in a different way, saying, well, when we're sick, we're not really sick. They divorced. No, I'm not really sick. My body's not really sick. Because they've, they, they spiritualized everything. And they said, well, because our body is not, it's not what we're having here is not real, then we can sin as much as we like because we're in the spirit. And I thought, No. They, so what they try and do is to take away the real life 
and change it for something else and make it so spiritual that it doesn't, it's not real in our real life. Because he tells us to love one another. Well, that's real life, isn't it? We have to love one another. We don't just love one another in a nebulous way. So the devil is always trying to get us away from the person of Jesus. Always. Always. He tries to get us into the law. Or he tries to get us into some other nebulous way. So when John was writing, he said this. He said, in the beginning was the word. This was the and they had this is the way this is the word they used the word logos was an idea of God, in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hallelujah! That's why he said it because he wanted them to know that Jesus was a person in the flesh. Because if you you can't have Jesus not in the flesh, because if he wasn't in the flesh, then when he died on the cross, he couldn't have taken our sin. Because he had to be a person just like me and you. Isn't it wonderful? I'm really dry. <laughs> That's right. So I thought I'd start you off with a little history lesson. <laughs> because this is, I started reading all this after I'd heard this chap talking. about The, the difference is about a person, not a philosophy. Because he was trying to get to the people who may have thought that Christianity is just some vague belief in an idea. And Christians get caught in the same idea. They read, they read um, some parts of the Bible, especially parts in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, and they think, well, we've got to do this, and they show in a, a way of you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And of course, then it brings them into bondage, doesn't it? But he brings us into what? Life. He brings us into life. And so... This is the reason John's gospel was written. One of the reasons, there was two reasons. There was seven signs given in the gospel of John that said these signs are forgiven so that you might believe. You might get back to that. And the other seven things that are in the John's gospel, apart from the abiding, which we had yesterday, <laughs> we have the seven I am's. There are seven I am's. And these, in these I am's, Jesus talks about himself. All the time. So let's start with the first one. I am the bread of life. Unfortunately, I've got a red letter Bible, which makes it easy for me to see where Jesus is speaking. They'd been and had a meal. The only miracle which is recorded in all the Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. None of the other miracles. The only other miracle, that's, so the only miracle that's in all the, Bible, all the other Gospels. So it's quite a significant miracle. And they came to Jesus and they were wanting food. And what does he say to them in verse John 6? Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Don't labour for me or for food which perisheth but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Now, did you know that what John's, John's name means? The man who wrote this book, the gift of God. You see, it's all about the gift from God. Isn't it wonderful? Man, give unto you for him, hath God sealed. 
him hath God sealed. Then they said, what, shall we might, what might we do to do the works of God? This is the work of God. Believe on him. Not believe in my doctrines, not believe in my teaching, don't believe in my miracles, but believe on him. Now, the doctrines are important because they keep us, they corral us and keep us in the going straying. But they're not, they have no life in themselves. They only help us to not go astray. They're like a fence that keeps us in the right place. This is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. Then they said, our fathers ate manna in the desert, and as it was written, he gave them bread from heaven. So what does Jesus say again? Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. It's him. It's all him. Every time it's him. I am the bread of life, he says. I am the bread of He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he shall never thirst. See, he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Wow, it's him, the person of Christ. As we believe on him, on him, we never hunger and never thirst. Now, we do, we hunger and thirst for more of him, but we don't have a hunger and thirst in our lives like the people out there do. They have a hunger and thirst which is never fulfilled. But we have a hunger and a thirst which is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Hallelujah. But I said unto you that he that hath seen me and you believe not, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. Here again, it's me again. It's always me. Not me, Jesus. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which, which have sent me, that of all which he hath given me, that's us, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Nicodemus, he said to Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God. But the light of the gospel has shined in our hearts so that we can see. That's a miracle. We can see the glorious one of heaven, and we can believe on him. We were talking yesterday when we were having a meal that Jesus Sorry, when Jesus created the heavens and earth, he created light first, before the sun and the moon. It wasn't the physical light, it was, it was light. And when in heaven, well, heaven is lit by the glory of the Lamb. It's a light about Christ, which we can have inside. It's the light of heaven. It's the light of heaven, and it's him, himself. When you have him, you have them all. When we look at these I ams, they overlap. They're not, we, what we tend to do is we take each one separately. But they don't. They overlap each other quite a lot. When we look at these seven ones, there's three of them that have life in just in the title. The bread of life, the resurrection and the life, and the way and the truth and the life. But when you start reading all the others, you find there's life in them too. 
<laughs> because in him has life. The one who lights every man that comes into the world is the life of God. You see, when one someone, you know when someone's got the life of God because you can see it in here. It's inside them, isn't it? It's a light inside you, and it's the light of the world. Lives inside us. That is an incredible truth, isn't it? That's an incredible truth. Hallelujah. This this little passage. No, I won't go into there. Right here we go. This is the Father's will. We, oh, we've done that. We got two. Now remember, we got two here raising up at the last day. Jesus said, "No man can come to me except the Father, which hath sent me." Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Another last raising up at the last day. And then we go on. He, uh, in verse 47, I'm still in six. I say unto you, and when Jesus says verily, verily, it says amen. He says actually amen, amen. He's putting up an emphasis on it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth upon me hath everlasting life. You've got it. You've got it. You don't have to wait to get to heaven You've got it. Now, it's inside you. It's not in the doctrines of the, this book. It's in the person of the book. Because you've been born from heaven. I am that bread of life. It was before he says, I'm the bread of life. I am that bread of life, which brings you everlasting life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness, and they're dead. <laughs> This is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. Hallelujah. Verily, verily, in verse 53, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my, f- and my flesh and drinks my blood hath ev- eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. That's the fourth time he said, I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me. dwelleth in me he says in him in him and I in him if we eat of him he dwells in us and we dwell in him isn't that incredible that is an incredible statement in him him the one who spoke the whole world into into being in a second they went and they were there because he's the living God, and we dwell in him. It's a truth which is beyond our minds almost, isn't it? Now, do you know why he said it four times? Well, four in the, in the Bible always talks about natural creation, talks about the creation. It's the four ends, four corners of the world, the, the four things. It's lots of fours, and they all speak about creation. So what he's saying is, I'm going to, re- I'm going to raise up this creation, this creation, and I'm going to change it. Remember when it says, in the, it, when, the, when he comes, we'll be changed like that. And we'll tack on a new body. That's what he said. It's the old creation, but it's going to be a new creation. And we have a new creation inside us, but this creation, you're going to raise him up. 
in the last day. And you'll be transformed into a new creation, completely. Because our salvation is in stages. We get saved, and we're being saved. And we will be saved. Our bodies, at the moment, are not saved. But when he comes, they'll be changed into a new body. This earth has not been saved. It groans. But he's going to change it to a new earth. And heaven is going to be changed. And there's going to be a new heaven as well. Everywhere where the, the awfulness of sin has been and rebellion has been is going to be destroyed and taken away. That's the wonderful, glorious gospel. Wherever that sin has been, it was in heaven where, where the devil rebelled. It was on earth where he was thrown down to and where we live. It's been in our flesh, you know. But the whole lot's going to be renewed. But when Jesus comes again, there'll be the consummation of everything when he comes again. And we'll be raised up with him. And we'll have a new life. <laughs> but we can experience it now. We, give any, we have a down payment, an earnest of the spirit, and we can re- enter into some of it. We might not enter into all of it, but we can enter into some of it. We never enter into, we'll, we'll never enter into all of it, even for the whole of eternity. Because he's eternal. And everything about him is eternal. It's beyond measure. Beyond measure. Beyond depth. Beyond height. Like his love. Everything about him is like that. There are seven, 11 mentions of bread in this passage. And I said, Lord, why are there 11? I've started counting. There were 11 mentions of bread. I said, Lord, why were there 11 mentions of bread? And he said, well, there were only 11 of the disciples who had the bread of life. The other one had the salt. Even though that sop, or we call it a sop, it it was a, a, a morsel of the meal which was given by the person who was holding the meal to an honored guest. And he gave that to Judas. He called him the honoured guest, even though he was going to, cruci- to deny him. Isn't that an incredible thing? But he never ate of the bread of life. All the others did, but he never ate of the bread of life. What a sad thing that people don't eat of the bread of life. They may be very, very sorry and very repentant about what they've done, but they've never come to the knowledge of the glory of God. So we enter in to this bread of life today. We can have him who is the bread of life living on inside of us. The person of Jesus. If you don't eat, what happens? You feel tired. You feel irritable. But when he comes and you eat of him, he takes away the tiredness. He takes away the irritabilityness, And he brings in the joy and the peace and the fullness. And we feel full and satisfied when we feed on him. Isn't that wonderful? He's that bread of life. He's that bread of life for us this morning. Hallelujah. When he said, eat in my flesh 
and drinking my blood. He wasn't talking about the bread becoming his flesh and the blood becoming his blood to eat. He said it's a spiritual thing, he said. He said, look, he says, um, we should say that further on. It's the spirit that quickeneth, and the, for the flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak to you, they are spirit, and they are life. That's the, he's saying this is a spiritual life he's talking about here, not a f- eating his flesh, which some would try and make out, and they might bring it down from what it is. It's the new life, feeding on the, the bread of life. no. We, we speak very often about 1 Corinthians 11. And we say what Jesus said on the last night. It says, when he had given thanks, he break it. He's, oh, sorry. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered unto you. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he break it and said, take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had supped, he said, This blood is the New Testament of, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's remembrance of him. I've never seen that before. I've read it so many times. It's not remembrance of his sufferings, that we do remember his sufferings. It's not, and a lot of them try and make it. Think, you know, when I remember when I was a young Christian, I was thinking, oh, it must have been awful. But it was, and then I thought, you know, to be crucified. And then he did that for me, and that's a wonderful thing. Then I was thought about the sin on him, which we can't understand what he went through. So I thought I'd just remember about that. But this is, remember me. And another passage, or another way of translating it is, it's a memorial for me. So when you see a memorial for somebody... And, and the people are remembering the person. They do remember what he did. The person may have done their friend. They, but they remember the person. It's a memorial of the person. Remembering Jesus himself. Not just, yes, we do remember his death. But it's more than just remembering his death and his life. It's remembering him and all of the fullness of him. Who he is and what he's done on that cross. Remembering him. I've never seen that before. Remembering me. <laughs> it's him. It's not just the death and resurrection, which are important, but it's him. Him. See, and you don't need to be a great scholar to remember him, do you? You don't have to be clever. Anybody can remember somebody. We don't have to be. We're not the cleverest of the bunch, are we? I'm only a little carpenter born in a little Suffolk village and... You know, all that, I'm nothing. nothing. But he's something. The vessel is only earthen, but the treasure inside, which we can remember, is a miracle treasure, a miracle life. It's not us, it's him. (laughs) It's him. If you can get a vision of him, if you can behold him this morning and remember him, then you'll be in a place of peace. But if you be on looking down at yourself all the time. And it's easy to do. And I have a terrible trouble with that. And I'm still struggling with that. Looking at myself and my failures. 
But when I start to look at him, they just go away in significance when I see him. You see, when we be, when my father was, was, was quite religious. But it's only because the church he went to was religious. He was born again. He loved the Lord. But he was religious. We, we gave up comics for Lent. We did, we did this. We did all sorts of things. Religious things we used to do. We used to love Christmas Easter because we had this huge pile of comics we could read. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we loved Easter more for the comics than for what it was about. <laughs> but it's not about giving something up. It's about having something. <laughs> People think if they give something up, they can get something from God. But that's the old covenant. <laughs> not about that. Not about that. It's about this person, Jesus Christ, who's the resurrection and the life. That's where we go on to now. In <laughs> he said, he said, <laughs> he said, look, he said when he was talking about Lazarus, this isn't for death, but for the glory of God. That the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. And then what does... You know, they already knew at that point that they, they wanted to kill Jesus and Jesus had, had gone up and spent more time up in Galilee or away from Jerusalem than he had done before because they were trying to kill him. And the Holy Spirit had told him to be sent. But he comes back and he says, when Thomas says, well, let's go and die with him then. <laughs> He's going to go down there. They're going to get him and kill him. <laughs> Herod wants to kill him. <laughs> and the Pharisees want to kill him. And they knew that. And what does Jesus say? It's in, in chapter 11, verse 9. He says, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If a man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there's no light in him. No, no light in his hand. No torch. Or No, he doesn't say that. He said because there's no light inside him. But Jesus had the light inside him. Because if you look over just in the chapter, near the end of chapter 10, he said, um, he's talking about being the, uh, the good shepherd who's laying his life down for the sheep. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down by myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my father. So he was just doing what he was told. He was just doing what he was told. This commandment have I received. So he knew that's where he was going. And he knew because he was living in the light, and that he was the light, that if he went to Lazarus, nothing would happen. Because he couldn't be taken before his time. Remember, loads of times he'd walk through them because he walked in the light. And it's the same with us. If we walk in him, he'll keep us. He'll keep us because he's the one inside us. Lots of people do their own thing and they take things on themselves. Jesus never took anything on himself unless what the Father showed him to do. And that, in that way, he walked in the light because his father, he was in the light. 
because he was the light. So you can see him going here, and I thought, oh, that's wonderful. He's going there. And even though darkness is trying to get hold of him, the darkness can't understand him. They can never overcome him because he's in the light. And if we walk in him, we'll be in exactly the same way. He said in, so he, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, in him, again. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoso liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Wow, believe you this. That's the key. Do you believe it? He says, I am the resurrection. And No, I thought being resurrected was life. Didn't you? If you raise something from the dead, they've got life. But he says, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> it's not just life. It's not, he doesn't talk about resurrected life, does he? It's an extra life on top of the resurrection. <laughs> it's his life. We're resurrected with him. We've been raised with him. And we have his life. We don't just raised with nothing. And to carry on our old life, we're raised into newness of life. Resurrected life with life on top. <laughs> A double portion of life. <laughs> you see that? That's why he talks about abundant life. Because it's not just life. It's more than life. It's more than life. It's added life on top of life. It's not just one cream cake. It's two cream cakes with cream on the top and, and strawberries. <laughs> and jam. <laughs> it's not just a bit. It's more than we can contain. It's what he said, isn't it? We can't, we can't begin to even to understand the glories that's in Christ. At his disposal, at our disposal in him. <laughs> it's not just the cherry on the top, it's everything. <laughs> Extra. Isn't it wonderful? Hallelujah. <laughs> He's brought us resurrection life. Hallelujah. <laughs> I am the resurrection life. Let's go on to that abundant life. We have to go back now. We're going to look at another I am in John chapter 10. Verily, very I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Well, who's that? To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Wow. Out. Out from where? Out of this world. Out of darkness into his glorious light. That's what he does. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. They know his voice. It's the voice of God living inside you. The living God lives inside you. The Jesus who walked on earth lives inside you. By the, by the Holy Ghost. A stranger will they not follow, but they'll flee from him for they don't know the voice of strangers. 
You know, you go to a meeting in churches and you hear things and you think, well, I can't quite work out what's wrong. But it's something wrong. They haven't got life. It's not life in it. You don't know what it is, but you just know. And sometimes you never know what's wrong. God doesn't always show you, but you just know. And then you're wary. And that's what happens when we have the voice of the Holy Ghost inside us. It gives us a discernment. We know. We know. We know his voice. We hear it. And that's why when, like Laurie was saying, here is the voice of the Holy Ghost that he witnesses with and people witness with the life of God. When we came to the church and, our, and the Spirit of God came and Alistair went flying across the room, I thought, I'm at home here. <laughs> 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 because it's what I want I want the life of God the life of Christ manifested I am the door of the sheep hallelujah all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not hear them I am the door by me if any man enter in he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He has set an open door. He is the door. Now, there's a gate which is narrow, but that's him. But there's a door which is open, which we can go in and out, find pasture. We find pasture. Even in the world, we have, we have pleasure in the world which he gives us, doesn't he? With the things of the world. They, they don't become our main pleasure, but it's better to live in a nice house than a tent. And God gives it to us. He gives, gives, us a, gives it to us. Not that that's the main thing, because the main thing is him. If the main thing's him, which says he'll give you all the other things. If they don't become, if they don't become between you and him, then he can, he'll trust you. He'll give them to you. So you go in and out and find pasture. In a pasture. Now, you can't imagine a good shepherd going to a measly bit of half-worn-out grass, can you? No. He leads beside still waters and deep, deep grazing. Up to your knees in it. <laughs> <laughs> deep, fresh grazing. <laughs> it's wonderful. He's opened the door that no one can shut and we can go in and out and find pasture in him. Now, here we have... Well, I'll read verse 11. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life to the sheep. He's a good shepherd. So in verse 10, he gives us a warning because he's a good shepherd. And what's the warning? The warning is the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So there you've got the resurrection life and the life on top. Now, who's the thief? Who's the thief? Well, if you look earlier on, it says, the thief is someone who tries to come up in another way. Now, it is, someone says, the thief is the devil who comes to steal. Right? We are not, it says we're not, to his devices. We, we know what his devices are. Are we ignorant? 
But many Christians are ignorant of his devices. And here's the warning. Now this passage, I looked at this passage and I thought, Lord, what are you, what are you saying here? What is it about these thieves and robbers which want to steal the abundant life and stop us from having abundant life? Well, it starts off in 8.21. And if you start reading through the whole story, it starts, it might start earlier, but I know from 8.21... It starts, the story starts, and Jesus says again to them. Now, we don't know whether that was just, he said it again at another time. But if you read through, there's lots of little links through there, and he's talking, he's having a great fight with the Pharisees. He has a great fight, and he says, you're the father of the devil. All that you, you've come. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth. There's no truth in him. And he speaks a lie, speaks of his own. He says, that's what you're like. He's talking to the Pharisees, to the religious people. And then the story goes on. And he talks about the man who was born blind and gets healed. The story continues on. It's all the same passage. It wasn't until I looked, I suddenly realized it's all the same passage. It's not a, another story. It's the same story from 8.21 to 10.21. It's all the same story. It's just little parts of it's broken up, but we think it's different parts, but it's the same story. As he passed, it says, like in verse 59 at the end of 8, it says, they took up stones to cast at him. Jesus hid himself and went out for the temple. So there he was, God, he knew where to go. God had his, has his, has his uh, spiritual sat-nav to, to get him out. And going through in the midst of him, and so passed by. And as Jesus passed by, so you can see these little links all the way through. You go home and read it, and you'll see that the links are all the way through. And they have this man who's brought before them. He's already had this great big argument and telling them that they're of the devil. <laughs> and you're not of the thought. Yeah, that's what he has in, in, chapter, in chapter 8. I have many things to judge you. He that sent me is true. Right? And uh, you, you read through it and you'll see. He said, you've, they've come to kill you. You seek to kill me because you've got no word. You see, people don't want the word of God and they seek to kill him. They always wanted to get rid of him. <laughs> so if you read right through, you suddenly find that the thief is religion. It's religiosity. It's not believing it's having their own way, wanting to, the rebellious spirit of the, of the devil in people who don't want his way. And they're religious people. Religion is the thing that kills life. Always. And that's why I read that little bit at the beginning, because they'd all gone into religion. And, and Paul had to drag them back and say, no, you can't have circumcision and being a, being a born-again Christian. You can't have it. It doesn't, it doesn't do. Because it's nothing to do with that. It's to do with a new life. It's nothing to do with that. And then when they gone on to into this other bit where they were into a, this spiritual almost nothingness. And it was so spiritual that there were no earthly good, as, as the saying say, goes. And they were. We're earthly good. We're good to the earth because we're, we're seated in a person who's come to save people. It's not some just spiritual thing where we escape from the world. 
Is it? We're in the world. We're not of it, but we're in it to change it for him. So there's this religion that comes along and stops us. Soon as you read, you hear people say, well, you've got to keep, you've got to, you know, oh, we'll do Deuteronomy 28. If you do this, God will bless you. If we don't do this, his cursings will be upon you. No, the cursings were upon Jesus. So the blessings come upon us. We don't live in Deuteronomy 28. That's the old covenant, but many people do. They try and keep all the laws and things in Matthew. And they think if we do this and do that, we'll please God and we'll have life. But they don't. Because we do, if we do anything, we do it because we have life, not to get life. Because we have life. I was talking about fasting. I mentioned fasting. People fast to try and get life. No, we fast just to put our old nature down if God calls us to do it. There's a fast which he calls. And I read about it. It's in Isaiah 59. You've probably heard of this before. There's a fast which he calls, where was it? In 59. They were fasting and he said, um, where was it? It's in, it's in uh, it's Isaiah 58, is it? Yeah, I'm looking at 59, that's why I can't get it. <laughs> they fast for strife. They say, what? We've fasted. And they say, nothing happens. And he says in verse 6, is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, that he may break the yoke. That's the fast he has. Let's go over to Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings. The meat to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, open the prison doors to them that are bound. Can't you see the, the similarity between the two? That that fast, Jesus is our fast. He's our fast. We couldn't fast to do, to get God to do anything. But he, when he fasted, he did. He fasted. When he fasted, now many people say if you fast, what happens? You end up meeting the devil at the end if you've done it yourself. But Jesus didn't overcome him. Because he is our life. He's the fast. He kept the law which we couldn't keep. That was the problem. They couldn't keep the law. And they were, they were fasting because it was an outward thing to do, thinking if they did that outwardly, they could get God to do something. But you don't get God to do something by fasting. You, God does, has already done it. Because it was already done in Jesus. And he was the one who was obedient. We enter into his obedience. We believe because he obeyed. We enter into his obedience because he was obedient to death and we enter into his obedience and he gives us his, his righteousness. It's nothing to do with us. It's a gift from him. It's always a gift. So we see, we, we sometimes we get ourselves caught, don't we? And as soon as you read the law, in one, two, Corinthians, read a fascinating thing. We read this when we're doing our Bible study on the anointing. Right. 
He's talking about Moses' face being shining with the glory of God. And he said, if this, the ministry of the Old Testament, which was a ministry of death, he calls it, a ministry of death, had glory, he says, doesn't he? The ministry of condemnation be glory. Much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. Now, what was the problem with people when they look at this? Look, it says, seeing then we have this such a hope, we use great plainness of speech. He said, I'm going to say something very plain with you now. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the old covenant, which veil is done away with in Christ. And we've been also looking at the, the tabernacle of David, where the veil is not there anymore. No veil anymore. No, nevertheless, so even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. So as soon as anybody, even if they might be born again Christian, starts reading the law of Moses and tries to keep it, a veil comes over their eyes and they can't see the freedom there is in Jesus. All they can see is that they're not coming short. They're not coming short all the time. But we're always going to come short. But we don't look at our coming shortness. We don't look at trying to keep the law. We look at Jesus. What does it say? The Lord, but nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, we all, with open face, beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit as we look at him, as we behold this man, Jesus, without having to try and keep any laws, we see him face to face, as in, that, as in the tabernacle of David. No veil anymore. No veil anymore. Only one sacrifice. Sacrifices were done somewhere else. It was done somewhere else. He did it. Jesus did the sacrifice. There was only one sacrifice needed. Jesus himself. That's all been done away with. We are with open face. Come into his presence. Because and we have inside us the living one. The living bread. The bread of life. Isn't he? The good shepherd who leads us in. We have him himself who's all these things unto us. He is the way and the truth. He's the true way. There's only one true way. The true way. It's not just that he's truth truth and he speaks truth, but he's true all the way through. I don't know if you can understand what I mean. He's really, really true. You You can trust him because he's true. There's something about him which is so intrinsically true. I don't know if I can get it to you. It's so true. <laughs> it's not just truth. He doesn't just speak truth. He is it. 
And he's the way. He's the way into heaven, into the heavenly places. He's that way. We discovered something, and I was looking at the verses he says before he says that. He's talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, don't let your heart be troubled, because Peter's going to deny him. He's talking to Peter here. In my father's house are many mansions, many abodes. If it were not so, I told you, I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. Now, hang on. Where is he? He said, where I am. Not where I will be, but where I am. Where he is now. Where is he? He's in seed and heavenly places. But he's the way to that place. He's the way to being in that place of where he is. The I am. Where I am, there you will be also. And we looked, didn't we, at the, a few weeks ago, at Peter's wanting to know how to love God. He said, love, he, he, he taught, he, Pete, at the beginning, you'll, if you look at home and have a look when you get home, you'll see that he starts talking about love. Before he talks about love, loving one another, he talks about going away. Peter completely misses loving one another and he focuses on him going away. Just like everybody else, he was negative. (laughs) He picked the negative thing. And so Jesus has to go and start talking to him about that. I'm going away. And then Thomas pipes up. (laughs) And Jesus has to deal with him. And then Philip pipes up. (laughs) And he has to deal with him. Then he goes on further and he says, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's got back to his love again, his theme of love. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is so gracious. He wanted to talk to him about the love and the vine. That's what he wanted to talk about. And he must be completely in, in same inseparable from him, completely joined in with him, as we said. Now, you said there was seven abides. Seven abides? But this vine is not about salvation. It's about fruitfulness. And the word fruit is mentioned eight times. Now, what does eight stand for? Does anybody know what eight stands for in the Bible? He stands for resurrection. <laughs> you see, he had seven signs, which Jesus did, which you can read. I, can, I don't need to, well, I can read them out quickly. There was the water into wine, the healing of the official son, the healing of the pool of Bethesda, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, the healing man born blind, and raising up Lazarus. Those are the seven, si- seven signs. And the eighth sign was the sign of the resurrection, which happened after he, was, he, he had died. So he had seven signs before he went, and the final sign was the resurrection. New beginnings. The resurrection. So when you start talk, reading this verses, what is, I was reading Mr. A.W. Pink, who I love. He's quite intellectual, but he's loving. He said, if you go and look at the last verse, chapter 30, uh, 14, he says, he's still, he's talking, then he says, arise, let us go hence. He's talking about resurrection. I'm arising. 
Let us go up hence. Because he says, because he mentions it eight times. The fruit, he's talking about resurrection fruit. Resurrection life. It's the resurrection life. And you were absolutely correct when you said about the, the, the lifting up. The word, what actually it says is, every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh. That's all it says. The word away has been put in there. It doesn't in there. It's not in the Greek. And, the, and there's another word later on, which the same word is used as lifting up. I think it's further on um, when you've lifted him up. It uses the same word. It's the word lifting up, and they've taken the harshest way of using that word, that he cuts you off. No, he doesn't cut you off. He lifts you up. He lifts you up. That's what he does. So that where we are. So that's wonderful, isn't it? And then it t- talks about bearing fruit and he purges it. Now we, then they translate that prune. But the same word appears just a little bit further down. Ye are clean with the word. He cleanses us. So he said, the problem is we don't know what it's like when they use in Jerusalem, you know, in their times when they dealt with the vines, they would lift them up if they hung down and they would wash them. Wash all the stuff off, all the rubbish off so that they would be clean. That's what they did. Didn't, it wasn't just, now we know we have pruning, but it's a cleaning. It's not a, it's a washing of the water of the word that cleans us. No more knives, no more, knives, no more <laughs> shears. He doesn't cut us off. He doesn't cut us off. How can he cut us off when he says, I've, I've raised, I'm going to raise you up? Yeah. All those promises in we read before. How can he do that? It doesn't fit in with the rest of scripture. And so this rubble is, you see, you get intellectuals trying to do it, and they sit at one bit, and they don't understand the other bits. That's the problem. When you see it, it's wonderful. It's resurrection life he's talking about. The resurrection fruit. And who is it? It's him. We have the same DNA as him living inside us. That is an incredible thing. That person who walked on the earth walks inside you. When you're walking down the high street outside and going to Sainsbury's, he's walking with you. When you're in the driving in the car, he's driving with you. (laughs) Because he's in you. And as Christine found, when she's sitting on the loo, he's in with him and he's still. (laughs) Doesn't matter where we are, what we're feeling like, the bread of life, the person of Jesus lives in us. And that's an incredible statement. The person of Christ lives in me. This old thing, full of faults, full of aches and pains at times, full of doubts sometimes, full of fears. Yet inside this vessel, this old earth vessel, lives God, living God. All those things, all those things live inside us. There's a wonderful little passage at the end of John. Remember I spoke about John and he said, he who has the Son has If you've got the Son, you've got life. And Paul, 
when he was talking to the Galatians, he said something here, look, which I found was fantastic. <laughs> he's trying, he's starting off setting out his stall of his, what God has done in his life to tell them that hey, I'm not just talking off the top of my head. I know what I'm talking about here. Galatians. I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Him. The person. He had a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you heard in my conversation in times past, in the Jews' religion, how I beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. But, and there's a big but, and you can put it in your life, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my father's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son, where? In me. <laughs> In me. <laughs> he reveals his son in me. Wow. Isn't that incredible? It's all about him this morning. Yeah. Every, all, one of the, all those I ams. I, the seven always talks about perfection. It's a perfection of Christ living in us today. Isn't that wonderful? We're in him. We're hid in him. He lives in us. And we mustn't let the devil stop us by getting us sidetracked and thinking, oh, well, if you don't do this, this won't happen. No. It happens because we're in him. It happens because we have his life inside us. When we touch people, he touches people. Because he's in us. It's, it's, not, it's not, that, not us, but it's him. Always him. The one who lives forever and ever. You see, he said, where I am, there you may be also. In the way of life that I've lived, you can live also. Exactly the same. As, I, as he is, not as he will be, but as he is, so are we. In the same way he lives, we live. Now, why? Because we were crucified with him. We were dead with him. There's a little word called so, son, S-O-N in the Greek, and it means with or together. We were crucified. With him. We are we were dead with him. Your old life died with him. We were buried with him. We were quickened with him. <laughs> We've risen with him. <laughs> we are raised with him. <laughs> we are seated with him. <laughs> All these are with him. They put the two together. 
We are hid in him. We live together with him. We live with him. We are joint heirs with him. And we are glorified with him. He puts us to those, all of those. Where he is, there you may be also. I am the way. That's the way where he leads us to, to be with, seated with him. He's not just talking about heaven when we get to heaven. He's talking about heaven now because it says we're seated in heavenly places with him. And my life is hid in Christ, in God, with Christ, with Christ, in God. Wow. That's why he said no one can take it out of my hand and at the Father's hand. Have you ever had a kid? And they want to go everywhere, and one of you is holding their hand, and they manage to, you think, no, we both better hold their hand, one each side. The father's got one of your hands, and the son has got the other one, and you can't get away. (laughs) 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 That's what he says, isn't it? No one can let me out of my hand or my father's hand. Both of them were hid in Christ, with Christ in God. Who can take us away? Who can take away what we have? No one. The only one who can take it, we can not avail ourselves of it. That's the only thing. And religion and the devil will always try. Because he can't understand it, it says he doesn't understand. Darkness doesn't understand the light, doesn't comprehend light. So all he can do is try and squash it and try and destroy it, try and turn you. He can't turn the light off. He can't, can't, he just just tries to get you not to look at the light, not to be aware of the light which is in you. Look at yourself. Look at your circumstances. Look at everything else, but don't look at the light. Because if you look at the light, then I've lost. Because I can't comprehend the light. I can't take, I can't hold, I can't deal with the light, it says, doesn't it? The light couldn't comprehend it. There's in one John, John 1, isn't it? And him. Let's read it. The light shines in the darkness, and a darkness comprehendeth it not. Doesn't understand it. Can't comprehend it. Can't deal with it. Can't deal. If you have the light of life in your life, then he can't. Devil can't touch you. Can't touch you. He can't touch you because he can't comprehend it. He's completely befuzzled by it. (laughs) He can't quite work it out. Why are these people like they are? He can't do it. He tried to kill Jesus, but it didn't work. (laughs) And then there's loads of them. (laughs) I killed one. No, there's loads of them all springing up. <laughs> it's like when you... <laughs> it's like the, well, the giant hogweed, isn't it? If you, don't, if you cut off one little bit, it springs up somewhere else. We've all had those, haven't we? We've all had those things. Well, that's what it's like. <laughs> but he doesn't... He can't work it out because it's beyond his working out. The light we have inside us befuzzles the darkness. And the darkness can't overcome it. Can't touch it. Can't work it out. 
So as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we just have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Thank you, Jesus, that we behold him who lives in us this morning. We behold him who lives in us. We don't behold ourselves, but we behold the man, Jesus. The man who sits in heaven, a man in heaven, not a spirit, a man who understands us and who's our good shepherd and our wonderful, wonderful Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your life this morning. It's all about you this morning. It's always been about you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.